great to see you. Great to, to be with you again uh, physically, those of you in the room, and then as well, uh, those of you joining us online. We know that's where most of our church is. It's great to have you joining us as well for week number two of A Weary World Rejoices. This is our Christmas series. And what we're doing is we're working our way through a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 61 uh, this week and next week, and then it'll kind of culminate on December 23rd and 24th with our Christmas services and you may wonder, why are we looking at a passage in the Old Testament uh, for the entire month of December for Christmas? And the reason is because 700 years before the birth of Christ, uh, Isaiah wrote this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 61. And when Jesus came, he get, came to give his very first sermon, and he sat down and he said, that passage, Isaiah 61, was about me. It was about what I came to do. And so if we want to understand why Jesus came at Christmas and what his purpose was in coming, Isaiah 61 gives us this incredible picture of that. And so that's what we're looking at. And so if you were here last week, David kicked off our series. And we, what we said last week as we looked at Isaiah 61 is that the problem to solve in Isaiah 61 is sin. The, the problem that Isaiah is talking about is human sin. Now, if there was ever a word that we do not like and that we kind of avoid, it's the word sin. A lot of times in our world, we'll, we'll kind of, even in the church, like we, we'll do like mental verbal gymnastics to sort of get around using the word sin. Uh, my wife, Carrie, when, when our four boys were really young and really little, and she was trying to get them to drink milk, like whole milk and be healthy or whatever, she would go to the store and she would buy uh, two different kinds of milk. She would buy white milk and then she would buy like a half gallon of chocolate milk. And our boys loved chocolate milk. And so they would say, whenever my, one of my boys would say, Mom, can I have some chocolate milk? She'd say, sure, honey. And then she'd go off in the corner and she'd like, like a chemist, she would like make this concoction and it would be like this half and half mix of half, you know, chocolatey goodness and half boring healthiness. And she would give that to the boys. And I remember saying to her during that time, you are taking all the fun out of chocolate milk. To which she responded immediately. She was like, no, I'm not. I'm making normal milk more fun. That's what I'm doing. And, and whether, however you look at that, that's what we do with sin. Whenever we talk about sin, we do the same thing. We, we, we kind of soften the blow. We sweeten it up. Uh, we add some chocolate milk. We pour some syrup on the top of it. That's what we do. So, so what you'll hear a lot of times is as we talk about our world, we talk about uh, we have some struggles right now. You've heard this, right? Or, or, you know, I just have some challenges. Or we're dealing with some issues. That, that's the way we talk about it. But whenever you come to the scriptures, whenever sin is talked about in the scriptures, it's talked about in these very stark very dramatic terms. You heard it read just a moment ago in, the, in that video. It's talked about how sin is broken our society. The scriptures speak of how our world, we're living in an unjust, broken world because of human sin. And, and we're not just struggling a little bit with it. If there's anything we know, if there's anything 2020 has taught us, as, as we've kind of moved through this year, there's not been a lot of chocolate milk added to the situations of this year, has there? We, we've looked at it. We've seen, as things have gotten stripped away, we've seen what our idols are. We've seen the way our world is broken and unjust. We've felt the division and the anger between human beings. And so we come to Christmas, this season of you know, peace and joy and brotherhood and all these things that we talk about in, in, during this time of year, and we see the effects of sin in our world, in stark realities during this time. 
And so what Isaiah 61 says is the problem to solve is sin, and the only one who can solve it is God. He's the only one who can solve it. This idea that any you know, solution to the world's problems that's based in some kind of human answer, some kind of human solution is destined to fail. It's destined to fall apart because we're too close to the problem of sin. We're too affected by it ourselves. If you've ever tried to get involved in the world and tried to make a difference, you, you've realized this. You've come up against your own selfishness, your own human sin, your own brokenness, and your own inadequacy and inability to really fix the problems of our world. And so Isaiah 61 says, God is the only one who can solve the problems of this world. And so today we're going to continue this look at Isaiah 61 and we're going to ask the question, what's God going to do about it? Right? I mean, if the problem to solve is sin, that's the problem that's created this brokenness in our world. And if God is the only one who can solve it, what's he going to do about it? And so Isaiah 700 years before Jesus begins to write about how God is going to send a Messiah. And it's actually in Isaiah 61, it's actually this Messiah who's speaking. For verses 1 through 9, the first nine verses, it's actually the Messiah who's speaking and saying, here's what I'm going to do about it. So I want to read the first three of those nine verses. Um, And so this is the Messiah speaking. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Okay, so the very first thing we've got to ask here is, is who's this me in this passage, right? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's sent me to the brokenhearted. Who is me? And... In, in the book of Isaiah, if you, if you study the entire book of Isaiah, what happens is at a certain point, Isaiah makes this shift and he starts speaking about this, this person, this different person. He's not a conqueror like some of the other you know, kings and people that he writes about and talks about. He's not beautiful. There's nothing about him that would be attractive or that would draw us to him. Scholars call this figure that he begins to speak of, they call him the suffering servant. In fact, in Isaiah, there are four what what we call servant songs. It's like Isaiah just breaks into these beautiful, like poetic, they're called servant songs. They're in chapter 42, in 49, in 50, and then in 53 is where you find the four servant songs in Isaiah describing what we call the suffering servant. Now, if you grew up in church, you know Isaiah 53. You know the fourth of the servant songs because right around Easter time, you always hear it recited, right? It's it's the passage that says, if you grew up in church, you'll recognize it. Uh, He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. That's the fourth of the servant songs. And so Isaiah begins to speak about this suffering servant, and so, so the question is, how is the, and this is the Messiah he's speaking about. So how will the Messiah, how will the suffering servant, that's how he's depicted by Isaiah, how is he going to fix our sin? How is he going to do it? And what he says in Isaiah 61, you can capture it all in one word. 
It's the word instead. Did you catch it when we read it just, just a minute ago? He says, I will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I'll give them the oil of joy. I'll give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. I will give you, instead of a spirit of despair, I will give you a garment of praise. Some translations, if you're reading it uh, from a different translation at home or whatever, it's, it uses the word for, the crown of beauty for ashes, uh, that kind of thing. Our English language actually does not do justice to this passage. We don't really have a language that communicates exactly what the original language was communicating here. When the Messiah begins to speak, when the suffering servant speaks and says, here's how I'm going to fix the brokenness of the world, the language that's really being used here is substitution language. It's describing an exchange that's going to happen. And so we don't really get the full effect of it. Basically, what he's saying is, you give me your ashes. I will give you my beauty. You give me your mourning, your sadness. I will give you my oil of joy. You give me your despair, your shame, and I will give you my garment of praise. That's what he's saying. Now, why is that so powerful? Why does that resonate? Even as, we just, even as you say that, there's something about it that just resonates. There's something about it that just it, it, it affects us. The reason it affects us so much, the reason that's so powerful is because it's not the human solution. That is so different than the human solution. What's the human solution to the brokenness and the problems and the sin of our world? Well, the human solution offers an exchange as well. But the human solution, you know, we've seen it this last year over and over again in 2020, right? Human promises abound. It's, you know, the politicians say, you give me your vote and I will fix it for you, right? Or I would just say the government in general, you give me your tax money and I will fix it for you. This is the promise. This is the human solution. Um, celebrities. You give me a platform with influence. You give me your attention, and I will fix it for you. I will be the example for you. Just Brad Pitt and Bono, they're just going to fix it for us all, right? Or religion actually offers the worst promise. Religion without Jesus actually says, you know what? You can fix it for yourself if you're good enough. In other words, you give me your good deeds, you give me your perfect behavior, and you can fix it for yourself. That's what religion says. Whatever the human solution is, whatever the human promise is, what you see here is that in every human solution, something of value is offered up in order to get something else of value. So it's this exchange for your vote, for your money, for your attention, your platform, your good deeds, your good behavior, whatever it is, it's something of value being offered up so something of value can be gained. And what the Messiah is offering in Isaiah 61 is something so different, it's just so completely different than that. It says, give me your ashes. What, are, what were ashes? You know what ashes were to, in a Jewish context that this was written in? If you had someone in your family who died, if you had a loved one uh, who passed away in your family, just so you know, in the last couple of weeks, 
We've had multiple people, families here at Frontline, who have either lost a parent or an uncle or an aunt or a loved one in the midst of this pandemic. So if you lost someone, if you were grieving someone, what you would do is you would scoop up ashes from the fireplace and you would put them on your head. And then you would scoop up ashes again and you would put it on your head and you would do this again and again until you were completely covered with ashes. And so that whenever anybody saw you, you would be covered from head to foot with ashes and they would know you're grieving. You just lost someone in your family. And what you were saying when you put ashes on, your, on your, yourself, when you covered yourself in ashes, you were saying life is like this. Everything goes to ashes eventually. Everything. The, the, the result of human sin, the result of brokenness is death. We reap death because of our sin. This is the way life is. And we know this, right? Our, our bodies, even as we sit here, even as we watch online, our bodies are slowly going to ashes right now. That car you drove in or that's sitting in your driveway right now is slowly going to ashes. Your house I promise this sermon is going to get more uplifting, I promise. But that's, that's the message. The Messiah says, give me your ashes. He says, give me your mourning, your sadness. Give me uh, your despair. Give me your shame. These are not things of value. These are not things we offer up of value in a hope to get something else. What do we usually do with these things? Our, our ashes, our mourning, our despair, our shame, our brokenness. What do we, what do we normally do with those things? We, we, well, we cover them. That's what we do. We, we hide them. We cover them up. We say, I, I need to create some separation between myself and that. I need to cover it up somehow so nobody sees it. That's what we do with those things. And we know this because that's been the story of humanity all the way from the very beginning. The Bible opens up with this creation narrative God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates this perfect utopia, this garden where Adam and Eve experience this beautiful uh, whole relationship with each other and this perfect relationship with God. And then what happens is in Genesis 3, when sin enters uh, the created story, Adam and Eve disobey God. They take a bite of, of this fruit. And what happens immediately is sin uh, rushes in. And the very next verse, what it says as soon as they take a bite is their eyes were opened and they realized they're naked. They weren't aware of that before, but suddenly they realize they're naked. And so what happens is shame. Shame is the first thing that happens in all of creation. When they realize they're naked, shame moves in and shame kind of breaks all the relationships. And so Adam and Eve's solution involves fig leaves, right? That's what they do. Well, what do fig leaves do? Fig leaves cover stuff up. That's what they do is they, they find themselves in this place where they, they manage to cover up their sin. They, they cover up their embarrassment with their fig leaves. And so if we could just sort of time out for a moment, can we just sort of sit with that for a moment? Uh, and as we turn this toward ourselves a little bit, just to ask the question, what are your fig leaves? What are your coverings? What, what are your preferred coverings for your life? Because you've got them. I've got them. We all have coverings. We all have ways that we seek to cover up our ashes, our mourning, our shame, our despair. Uh, maybe for you it's uh, perfectionism. So there's this part, these parts of my life that begin to feel out of control or I begin to feel ashamed of or things that just aren't the way I want. So I will just create the perfect life. I'll apply more makeup. I'll clean the house better. 
I'll spend 20 minutes more on that treadmill to work on that problem area, and I will be perfect. It's a covering. That's what that is. It's a covering. Um, maybe it's possessions, right? We love that this time of year. There's something about it, isn't there? Like when the Amazon truck pulls up and leaves that package, I don't know what it is. Like these little, I feel like 2020, I just cling to any sort of little happiness. It's like, oh, there's a package at the door. What is that? All our stuff is going to ashes, right? So I'll just upgrade my stuff to better stuff and I'll just keep buying more and shopping more and more and getting more possessions. It's a covering. It's a, it's a covering. That's what that is. Um, maybe it's work. Many of us try to make work our identity. We try to make work our, our covering, our life. That was my dad's story. I grew up in a home where that was what was happening for my dad. And so, you know, I can't, I, I, don't, I don't feel completely to adequate here at home in this way. I don't feel like I measure up in this way. But here's what I can do. I can go to work and I can be successful. So I'm just going to work more and more hours and more longer and take more and more projects and trips, and I will be successful. It's a covering. I, I would argue that all addictions are basically at their root. They're coverings. That's what they are. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, all these things that, that we become addicted to at, at their core, what they are is an attempt to cover ourselves. And so the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what happens is God comes along and he finds them in this condition. He finds them with their fig leaves and realizes, and so there's this profound verse. A lot of times we just sort of skip right over it in the creation account, but it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now why, this is like the invention of clothes. Why is this such a significant verse? The reason it's so significant is because scholars believe that what's implied here is that God had to kill an animal in order to make the skins that covered Adam and Eve. And so this is the first instance of, in all of, of Scripture of something shedding its blood, something dying, something's life being taken in order to cover the sin and the shame and the brokenness of, of another person. And so really, it's this verse, Genesis 3.21, that begets the entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Have you ever read the Old Testament and you, you read all these passages and you're like, why are they killing so many animals? Have you ever thought that? Like why? They go to the temple and they're just sacrificing an animal and then they got to sacrifice another animal and another animal. It, it comes from this, this verse we just looked at. It's this idea that God provided this, this covering, like human beings, the story of human beings is we make terrible coverings for ourselves. Our fig leaves just don't do it. And so God provides, you know, this covering to these animals. And so God's people begin to sacrifice animals throughout the Old Testament. It's part of how their sin was atoned for. It's how the brokenness in their lives were atoned for, but it wasn't enough. So the next year there had to be another sacrifice because you'd go out this next week and you'd have the same problem again. And so there always required another animal, another sacrifice that, that's what it required. And so the, that's the story of humanity. So we make these, these horrible coverings for ourselves. I have a friend um, who a few years ago got to such a low place in her life and was questioning her, her values. She's an incredible person. But in her own head, the story that was, she was telling herself in her own head, it got so dark and so bad that she came to this point where she tried to take her own life. And I am so grateful that she failed. She was unsuccessful at that. 
But this event, this low moment in her life, uh, left her with these deep scars right here on her wrists, on the inside of her, of her arms. And so her solution to that was she has gotten these beautiful tattoos on her arms, on, her, on the inside of her wrists. Now, a lot of people have those kinds of tattoos, those like sleeve tattoos. And the whole point of it is that now, whenever she looks down, whenever she looks at her wrists, she sees the tattoos that she placed there. If you were to see her, all you would see is just a woman with some incredible tattoos on her arm. But if you look close enough, the scars are still there. See, our coverings only get us so far. They only take us so far, and then we require another one, and we require a better covering, and a better covering. The story of every single human life and the story of 2020 is we're always on the lookout for the, better, for the next covering, the better covering that'll help us cope, that'll help us deal. And what Jesus came to offer, what the Messiah in Isaiah 61, the solution is something so different and so out of the box, it's so not the human solution, and it's so not the, old solu- the other solution of just trying to find another covering, a better covering. What, what Jesus came to offer is something so different and so final that when you really see it, when you really grasp it, it takes your breath away. John the Baptist figured it out. He sees Jesus in John uh, chapter 1, verse 29, and he, he, he under, John kind of existed outside the sacrificial system. He was outside the temple in the wilderness, and he was uh, calling people to a, a baptism of repentance. And when he saw Jesus, this is what he proclaims. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who, let's just say these next two words together if you're in the room, takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He he doesn't cover up the sin of the world. He takes it away. See, John was understanding something about who Jesus was and what he came to do there. That Jesus did not come to be a better covering for our sin and our shame. He came to deal with it once and for all. He came to take it away. By his blood shed for us on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, and the last one we'll ever need the last covering we'll ever need. That's what he came to be. That's what he came to do. And and so when you see that, when you really begin to see the goodness of the gospel message, when you really begin to see what the Messiah, what Jesus came to offer us in himself, in, in who he was, it begins to change everything. The cross changes everything because the cross says to us a promise that no human can make. It's the cross is the only thing that can make this promise to us. The cross says uh, to my workaholic dad, the cross says, I finished my work on the cross so you don't have to work for years. You don't have to work for your life. You don't have to work for your identity. You can rest in me. To, To the person who feels rejected Maybe even if you're watching online, there's somebody there who's who's just feeling rejected, who's feeling isolated by this entire time and from their family and everything. That The cross says to you, I was led outside the city gate and crucified so you could be brought in and accepted. The, The cross says to my friend with the tattoos on her arm, I spilled my blood 
so you don't have to spill yours. You give me your ashes. I will give you my beauty. You give me your mourning, your sadness. I will give you my oil of joy. You give me your brokenness, your shame, your despair. I will give you my garment of praise. Do you see why he refers to it as good news to the poor? Do you see it? That's what he came to do. That's what he came to do. So the man's going to come out here in a minute, and we're going to uh, we're going to close this part of the sermon. We're going to reflect, but the sermon's not over yet. We're going to sing a little bit, and then we're going to spend some more time. But I'll just say this: deep down, here's the situation. Deep down, you know something's wrong with you. I don't have to convince you of it. You know something's wrong with our world. I don't have to convince you of it if you've been alive in 2020. You know something's wrong. Why are you working so hard? Why do you always have to be right? Why do you care so much about your appearance? Why do you care so much about how other people perceive you? It's because you are making coverings, just like me, just like all the rest of us. That's the story of us all. We, we make coverings, and we're always looking for better coverings. And the invitation of Jesus, the invitation of the Messiah is, give me your coverings, and I will give you my life. You give me your coverings. You give me those things that you are running to instead of me, and I will give you my life. See, we don't think that about God. Remember, the, the promise of religion is, uh, you know, give me your good deeds and your good behavior, and, and I bet you you could fix it yourself. That's religion without Jesus. See, see, a lot of times we think, man, if I, I don't have anything of value to offer up, I mean, how could he possibly want my ashes, my mourning, my despair? It's, it, but what we see is that when we offer Jesus those things, he doesn't stand back like with a clipboard like, you know, I think in the next lap you better run a little faster. That, that your time's getting a little slower. He doesn't sit back like, man, you're, you're, just, you're, not, you're not quite living up to it. It says he enters in. He enters in. He draws near to us when we offer him those things. That's what he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to come in. He wants to be your life. He wants to, to, for you to find yourself and your entire identity in him. That's what he wants to do. So you give him your coverings. That's how he says, I want to give you my life. How do you do that? How do you give him your coverings? It's got to start at some level with naming what your coverings are and confessing those to God. It's got to begin there. Say, well, what, what, are my, what are my coverings? How do I know what that is? He, I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit reveal that to you. I promise he will. But, but here's a clue. Pay attention to what you check all the time. What is it that you're constantly checking? Is it your bank account? Is it how many likes? How many follows? Is it, is it the scale every morning? And your value goes up and down based on what that, that is. Those, those are coverings. It's a covering. Something happens when we just say, Jesus, I confess to you, I've been running here. I've been going here to get it. And it's left me empty, dry. It hasn't fixed it. You're, you're, the, you're the only thing. You're the only thing, Jesus. And, and we just offer that to him. We confess him as Lord. We confess him as our ultimate savior. And then we rest and we trust in his good work that has been finished on the cross for us. That's what he came to do. That's what Isaiah 61 is talking about. You give me those coverings. 
and I'm going to give you my life. So would you bow with me in prayer? Let's just spend some time for a second before we sing. And then uh, after we sing, I'm gonna, there's one more thought, one more thing from this passage I can't leave on the table. Jesus, we just come to you right now. We come to you in ways that maybe we haven't before. And God, right now, we just confess to you, Jesus, we have run to other things, that we've made other, other things our coverings. We've looked at the sin and the brokenness of our lives. We're aware of it, God. <laughs> maybe we try to pretend like it's not there, but we see it. We know it's there. We see it all around us. And, and God, today we just confess and we lay down those things that we have run to, that we have made our idols, that we have made uh, just the places in our lives that we seek to cover ourselves. And we recognize that you came to do something so different. You came to take it away. And so God, would you take it away? We confess you right now, Jesus, as Lord and as Savior. We just surrender everything in our lives to you. We ask you to come in and, and for you to actually establish your life in our life. Jesus, would you take away our shame? Would you take away our guilt, our ashes, our despair, our mourning? And would you replace them with your garment of praise, with your oil of joy, with your beauty, your crown of beauty? God, would you do that for us? It is our truest and best hope. And we can only get it from you. So we come to you for it, God. We name it, we confess it, and we ask for you to enter into it. It's in Jesus' powerful and risen and resurrected name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to our coverings, to our brokenness and our sin and shame. We are children of God. That's who we are. Last thing I want to point out in that passage, this is the last part. I couldn't leave this on the table in verse 3. After he's speaking to the poor, to the brokenhearted, uh, to those crushed in spirit, and he says, give me your ashes and I'll give you my beauty. You give me your, your mourning, I'll give you my oil of joy. He says, he talks to them and he says, they will be a planting of the Lord. They will be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What he says, literally to those who are poor, to those who are brokenhearted, when you have my life, when you've given me your coverings, when you've made me your life, Jesus says, I'm going to plant you in this world so we can remake the world together. It's an incredible picture. We've been talking and praying around here uh, in Frontline and just the Zero Collective, just the churches that are part of our network, and talking about how 2020 has taken a lot from all of us. We know this. 2020 has taken a lot from our world. And so we just really feel called by the Lord that we just feel that the Holy Spirit has just been moving in our midst to speak to us and say, 2021, we think is a year that, that God is calling us to be planted in this world. And it's going to be a year of serving. It's going to be a year where the church is visible in the community giving back. And so uh, if you're physically here in this room, you notice on all the chairs are, are one of these uh, cards that look like this. It says 2021 cent events, make a difference in 2021. And on the back, it has for every month, um, there are just different uh, opportunities to get involved with, with some partner in our community to actually partner and serve and give back. We wanna, we wanna just say, we just feel called as, by God to just be planted in this world to help remake this world together in 2021 as the church. Uh, it's not by our power, it's not by our strength. We just feel like this is what God's called us to partner with him to do. And so what we'd love for you to do, if you're watching online, you're seeing uh, kind of a digital version of this card pop up on the screen. We'd love for you uh, today, all we want you to do is just visit the website and look. Really, we're just looking right now for January, February, and March for people to sign up. But you can, you can sign up for any month you want for the entire year of 2021 one of those partner, with one of those partners, one of those events. 
But um, really, you know, January, February, March are the, the most, you know, uh, coming, pressing ones that we're looking for. Uh, but if nothing else, just go check those out. If God's calling you to step out this year, I think it could be the best thing in the world as a church if we just said this year, 2021 is a year where we're, we're part of being planted in our community to serve the world together. If you're new, I'd, I'd love to just connect uh, by saying Blake said it earlier in the service, but uh, we'd love for, for you to fill out our digital uh, connect card. It's uh, frontlinegr.com forward slash new. And you can let us know you were here with us. We so want to connect with you and help you become part of, the, of our family here. It's challenging with everybody in, in a digital world right now. Um, and then also, uh, if you're giving this morning, you can do that by giving online, frontlinegr.com forward slash give. And I'd love to just close this with a benediction. So if you feel comfortable extending your hands, the word benediction just means a blessing. It's all the, the word means. And so I'd love to just speak this over you. And now my brothers and sisters of Frontline Church, in person and online, may you give him your ashes. And may he give you his beauty. May you give him your mourning, your sadness, your crying. And may he give you his oil of joy. May you give him your despair and your shame. And may he give you his garment of praise. And may you be planted like oaks of righteousness in this world to help remake this world with him. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.